You're listening to a Sin podcast. You can listen to this show live by tuning your radio to 90.7 or online at sin.org.au. We at Represent would like to acknowledge and pay our respects to the traditional owners of the land on which Sin operates, the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. Sin Media respectfully acknowledges their ancestors and elders, past, present and emerging. We would also like to acknowledge the traditional custodians and their ancestors of the lands and waters across Australia where our content reaches. Sovereignty has never been ceded. It always was and always will be Aboriginal land. Represent. You're listening to Represent. You are listening to Represent. We are back for another week and we have a super exciting guest. Who with all got... our tech hiccups, it's a bit of a miracle that you're listening to Represent right now. We've had a bit of a fun time in the studio, but it's we do have a, a very special time. guest. Yes, yeah, so we've got the honour, uh, Honourable Natalie Hutchins, MP, the current member for Sydenham and the Minister for Education and Women. So welcome to the show, Natalie. Hey, Bridie. Hi, Freddie. We are so excited to have you on. So very relieved yeah. <laughs> that we were able to get it working. Thanks so much for sitting down with us. No worries. Um, I think you get an A plus for working their technology on this show. Uh, thank you Thanks. so much. Yeah, so you've previously held quite a lot of different ministries. We've got industrial relations, Aboriginal affairs, local government, women and the Prevention of Family Violence, as well as Minister for Corrections, Crime Prevention, Youth Justice and Victim Support. So you've had a lot on your plate in the last few years. <laughs> I've had a variety of portfolios and I honestly think each one of them has given me some really great insights that kind of bring me to education and give me a different perspective um, to maybe... Uh, ministers who may not have had a chance to work in those portfolios, especially um, the one that I did just before this, which was the youth justice portfolio. And um, I'm constantly, you know, reminded in the back of my mind of the fact that um, kids that are currently in detention, about 90% of them were disengaged from school before coming into contact with the law. And it's, you know, something that's really big on my mind as education minister. Yeah, I can imagine that would really inform the way you come at a lot of issues that we're seeing in the news at the moment. So, um, speaking of the news at the moment... Yeah, <laughs> very fresh news, actually. Yeah, perfectly timed for our interview. Thanks um, for so, timing that for yeah, us. thanks very much for that. Um, you've announced just this morning that secondary teaching degrees are going to be free in Victoria because of um, scholarships that the government is going to provide under a large um, education package. Can you tell us about how this decision came about and, you know, the process that led up to this point? Yeah, look, we're in a pretty unique situation across the whole of Australia where we've got 
what they term the economists term full employment, um, which actually means it's um, it's impinging on the teaching profession in that people are being poached into other professions away from teaching. And even some of our students that are in university studying to be teachers are being poached into other degrees. So um, we really, you know, went back to the drawing board to um, consult around how we could, um, you know, really attract and help support our, um, our brightest to become teachers and uh, scholarships seem to be kind of the number one thing on um, particularly students' minds. Uh, I heard, I did a bit of a, a roundtable with some um, teacher students earlier this year and they were really clear about the fact that um, doing the amount of placements they need to do over a four-year degree, um, those placements are predominantly unpaid and um, quite often they may need to travel to do that and they, they didn't have a lot of support in that area. And I also met a lot of students that have made the decision to go part-time rather than full-time, which again was going to affect the kind of pipeline of teachers that we had coming down the line. So we really thought that this was something that we had to step up and do and to make sure that teaching degrees, those that are accepted into the teaching um, streamline of the universities in 24-25 here in Victoria are going to get that support that they need um, to, to stay at school and uh, in exchange for a commitment to working in the government sector for the first two years of their career and that will give them um, a payment of around $18,000 um, to support them through that time. No, absolutely. It's fantastic to see that and it's fantastic to see the government making strides in that area because, of course, we have seen a lot of staffing issues recently in and the education the sector. And the cost of university as and well the cost is something of university. on a lot of people's minds at the moment. <laughs> absolutely. So it's really great to see strides being made in this. Um, so do we think that this is going to be enough to fill the gaps in the university sector uh, with their staffing issues? Uh, look, it's only one part, one element um, of uh, the package that we've announced today, but we do believe that the scholarships will help us deliver a, a, another 4,000 future teachers into the system. But of course, that's going to take some time and we just can't sit around and wait. We need to make sure that um, we're absolutely keeping the teachers that we've got. So another big part of the package is uh, a commitment around extending our career start program, which is a really um, quite intense mentoring program um, and development program for newly graduated teachers in schools. And it, it matches them with a mentor in the school and gives them some paid time out of the classroom to um, work with their mentor to improve they're teaching but also get feedback and hopefully flourish and stay in the profession. And we heard from a couple of teachers today who have been through this program and uh, they really loved loved it and spoke highly of it. So if we can get that balance right of getting, getting more teachers coming into universities but then also retaining teachers as they come out in those first few years where they're at risk of leaving, um, then, then that's an important investment. Yeah, the mentor thing is something I actually hadn't heard of until we had um, Matt Bark on a couple of weeks yeah. ago. He was talking about that. And I was like, wow, I had never thought of that. <laughs> it's a great program. So you yeah. did say... Oh, sorry, yeah. Oh, no, no. I was going to say it is a really great program and not a lot of people, unless they've been through it, know about it. But now we're going to extend it um, to just over two-thirds of all schools 
in the government sector will now be able to run this program and hopefully, you know, we'll see more teachers choosing to stay long-term in, in, uh, in the profession. Absolutely. So you said at the beginning of that that um, this package introduced today is just one part uh, of filling the gaps in the teaching industry. When could we expect to see other parts come into play and what could that look like? So in term um, four, the first week of term four in our schools, we have a package worth um, $32 million, which is going out to support teacher placements in hard-to-staff schools um, with a particular focus on rural, regional and specialist schools. So we'll be paying for their time to do the placement and we'll be paying for their travel and accommodation costs. And the reason we're doing that is because we know if we're planting the seeds early uh, to give the experience to um, our, our young teachers in training to go to a particular rural or regional area or a special setting, that they might say, hey, this is something I want to think about long term and, and potentially think about relocating to those areas um, and becoming part of the community. And I know where we've run this program as a trial before, we've seen um, some pretty awesome uh, wraparound from the local community for the teachers that have done placements in these um, really hard to staff areas. And uh, we've seen in some pretty remote areas of Victoria, the community put on a welcome party for the teacher who was doing their placement um, and, you know, gift baskets and a whole um, really big uh, welcome from the community, which has uh, really um, made some of our students think about going there on a long-term basis. Yeah, that would be so, I mean, I can just imagine moving somewhere and being welcomed like that. It would be so, such a relief. That's so sweet. <laughs> they're putting on parties for them. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> so um, <laughs> moving on to one of the biggest education stories of every year, um, NAPLAN results. We've got them out last month. Um, Victoria, the education state, <laughs> fared very well. But we've still seen 7.1% um, of students needing additional support what are we doing as a state to ensure that these students aren't falling behind, particularly these regional and rural students that are more likely to be below standard? Well, look, I'm really proud of our NAP plan results. And as you said, we're leading the nation either first or second rankings of 16 out of the 20 domains. But I just I met just earlier today with the Vic SRC representatives, um, so the student executive from across all the state. And and one of the things they really put on the agenda with me is that you know when when are we going to stop um, just judging success by results and look at what sort of humans we're developing? And I thought that was a really um, really important conversation to hear from student leaders. And I think um, all of the investments that we're making now into our schools, particularly around supporting better wellbeing and mental health, and also having our tutor um, learning initiative where we have small groups targeting those students that really do need a hand up um, and are in the lowest categories um, of reporting, get that opportunity to be lifted up and also you know, supported if they've got um, challenges at home or challenges with their mental health and making sure that we are, are getting on top of those issues because I know as a mum that you don't uh, get good results and, and good engagement from your kids within their education if they're not engaged and happy and you have to be able to make sure kids are really well connected into their school community and accepted in order for them to succeed. 
Yeah, that's absolutely true, I think. Yeah, um, definitely. Speaking as two people who have gone through school recently. We, we have done that. <laughs> only two years and one year, respectively, for Bridie and for myself and Bridie. Yeah, that's the other side of the, respectively. The, there we go, yeah. <laughs> um, so, of course, um, of course, with results, we do see that regional students are more likely to fall below standards than metropolitan students. And, of course, this package that you introduced today is going to help bring... Uh, more resources to that, but do you think this sort of trend of regional students being a bit, a little bit more behind than their metro counterparts, do you think it's indicative of a resource or talent inequality between the metro and regional areas? Oh, look, there's still work for us to do and access to subjects is uh, a continuing issue for secondary school students and we want to see what we can do to break down those barriers to make sure that all, all students have a to all of the subjects they want to be able to do, particularly in the later years of high school. Um, but yes, there are challenges, but I think we really are doing quite well when when you compare our rural regional students' results to other states and territories, we are we are miles ahead. And I think that's because we do work really closely with our um, leaders in the rural, rural and uh, regional uh, education setting. They do a lot of lobbying around needs and we've really made sure that we can invest both in our teacher workforce and in our um, capital, our actual facilities at schools as well. But I think that the best thing that we've done as a government to support our rural teachers in particular has been the opening up of seven rural and regional centres for um, uh, they're called academies, which are academies that are doing uh, leadership and training and learning for our teachers uh, to be able to upskill during their careers. And there's all different uh, levels of engagement that they can have. But most importantly, it is also a place for them to be able to come together and work together across all of the um, sectors. So whether they're from the Catholic sector, independent or government, they can actually come together. And I just got to open the one in Mildura um, you know, just 10 days ago and um, it was a fantastic vibe having all the teachers from that region being able to visit the centre and see that there's a place that's theirs uh, to be able to come together and learn and focus on their career and share their teaching experiences with others. Yeah, that sounds like something that um, would be kind of taken for granted in a metro area, whereas in a rural or regional community, kind of would be a completely different situation. It's a lot harder to foster that connection, I guess. So it's good to have those sort of like hubs, those academies, which is mm. really great. Are there plans to open any more of those anytime soon? Oh, look, we're still in the stages of finishing the last two um, and getting them open. So not at this stage, but we want to see what success um, these hubs have as they as they go forward and what outreach and where we might have uh, you know missed key areas but I've got to say it's a big game changer when someone from Mildura doesn't have to do that long haul drive or fork out money for a flight um, to be able to do a course in Melbourne and they can do it in their local area and you know still be home for dinner and that's a, that's a really big game changer I think in a whole lot of uh, rural and regional areas. Yeah, absolutely. So I feel like around this time every year, we always start to hear this little rumbling about early uni offers. Um, Been there, done that. Exactly. <laughs> they've started to come out now. 
um, based on students' Year 11 results and their co-curricular participation. So what are your views on kind of the ATAR system? Obviously, the VCE is being overhauled a bit in the next few years. But like you said, how can we make um, someone's ability, uh, someone's sort of future after school be less dependent on the number that they're assigned at the end of Year 12? I think the message I'd love to get out to any um, VCE students or VCAL students or, or v vocational major students that are out there or anyone doing VET that might be listening in, you know, is to say that there are pathways and those pathways, sometimes our ambitions change from when we're 16, 17 to when we're 21. Um, and it means that, you know, there are pathways for you to take that could lead you to the career that you want. And sometimes that doesn't always involve university. Um, university isn't for everyone. And for some people, they may think it's not for them and then they change their mind at a later stage. So we're setting up an education system that gives people choice and pathways. Um, and I know, you know, when I was 16, other than, you know, I did have a passion for politics back then, um, I still didn't know exactly what I was going to be when I grew up. So I just went with subjects that I loved and that I um, thought were, were good and that I was going to get through year 12 in doing. Um, there's some people out there that get pushed by others, particularly their parents, to do subjects that, that may not suit them, that might be just focused in on getting that ATAR result. And um, I really would love to see students um, just to follow their own passions and do what they like and that and they would, you know, be very well placed to succeed in what their career choices are. And I'm really pleased that we have the vocational major which actually gives uh, an alternative pathway to an ATAR but gives uh, students an opportunity to get a taster in different professions, whether that be business or hospitality or engineering or construction. Those vocational majors, we've designed them to link to industries where we have real need um, for people to work. And that's, um, that, I think, is a great pathway in itself. No, yeah. absolutely. I definitely agree with that. And of course, like the vocational major and sort of rolling uh, VCAL and VCA together, that's a pretty recent thing that's been happening. Um, how have, have you been hearing the feedback? How's it been received? And are there still sort of changes being made to how that's happened? How's that been going? Well, look, we've had uh, 22,000 students enrol uh, in the first year of it running. And look, there's probably, you know, areas that we need to iron out in terms of um, making sure that we've got the right staff in the right schools to deliver uh, the courses and opening up opportunities for if that subject, you know, if there's a particular subject that's not offered in your school, making sure that you can do it at a neighbouring school or through a local tech that might be uh, delivering it. But for the first time, um, every public school in Victoria is offering a vocational major, a second pathway other than VCE. And there were schools um, that weren't doing that before. And we know that, you know, there's, there's um, still a good focus on building lit literacy and numeracy within this. Is it at, at a university standard? Perhaps not, but it is for a work-ready standard. And there's also um, subjects in relation to being work-ready and personal development skills, which are really important. And then there's a third pathway and that's the VET programs and that's um, being able to do the hands-on um, 
learning when it comes to um, professions like um, elect- you know, being an electrician or a plumber or a hairdresser or working in the care sector where you can get that hands-on learning um, or even early childhood. Absolutely. Yeah, that's great. Um, so I did want to talk a little bit about uh, school refusal because I think it is something that we see from a lot of kids who aren't exactly passionate about what they're learning at school, but also it's uh, it can come down to kids not being able to access school. Can you talk a little bit about school refusal? Because I think we've seen a bit of a trend upwards recently with that. Look, we, we do still have, in the bigger scheme of things, we still do have a low percentage of absenteeism in Victoria compared to other states but that's not to say that there are students that find school challenging and uh, long-term disengagement can quite often be detrimental to their future opportunities so we want to make sure you know kids do feel engaged with school and can uh, be prioritised for maybe additional services that they might might need or being able to speak to someone at school that can help them with their challenges. And quite quite often anxiety plays a huge role in school refusal um, and having those supports now across our primary and secondary school and having wellbeing leaders employed in our schools mean that we do have a resource uh, for students to be able to go to and get that extra help. Then we have other programs like the Navigator program, which is for kids that are, are highly disengaged to be able to work one-on-one uh, with um, someone that can really take into consideration what their issues are and work with them. And then, of course, we also have an alternative school setting, like a flexible learning option, uh, where they do some really great work with kids that have just decided that they can't return to the mainstream system uh, but they want to continue their education and we often see uh, kids thrive in those um, programs in those alternative school settings and uh, right now we're having a look at how those settings are operating and and how we can expand them because we know that there is a demand out there for more places um, that are kind of aligned with that sort of schooling. Yeah, absolutely. I've heard a lot in recent years, um, well, so not really years, but just the last kind of year or so, yeah. people are really demanding these sort of other ways of going through school. Like alternative, alternative education. There's those Steiner schools, mm. I believe, that are all, all a form of alternative education, yeah? Yeah. yeah. Anyway. Um, <laughs> yeah, and like, yeah, flexible no, sorry, schools, um, quite a lot of them have different different names and some are run by the independent sector some are run by government schools but um, I think they do a tremendous job at re-engaging kids who uh, have uh, not been able to go to mainstream school and they are able to thrive there and that build confidence. The other thing that we're doing which I'm really proud of which we were able to announce out of the May budget was we're funding an organisation called ICANN. I don't know if you've ever heard of them but they're a neurodiverse uh, not-for-profit organisation that is run by um, teachers and leaders that are on the spectrum themselves to do reach out uh, into primary schools and secondary schools and run a program just for kids who are neurodiverse and they really build, work with them to build their mental health and their confidence and their resilience and they really help kids who are at danger of disengaging from school even as young as grade three and um, I've been able to sit in on one of their programs and, oh, what a 
game changer that that program is and we've just taken it from running um, across about 50 schools to being able to be run across 200 schools and I'd love to see it even grow further. Absolutely yeah I mean that sounds like such a rewarding sort of thing to be involved in. Um, Last month, the Children and Young People with Disability Australia organisation published reports that showed that neurodivergent children are disproportionately affected by bullying and weren't supported by teaching staff, having enrolments denied. Generally, they weren't being properly cared for. What's being done about these reports other than this sort of ICANN organisation? You know, are there other government initiatives? Yeah, and that it makes me so angry when I hear that because, you know, every child deserves their place at school and they deserve to be treated equally. And for kids that are already, you know, struggling in life with um, being neurodiverse and really, you know, trying to make sense of the whole world, they need to know that their schools are a safe place. And um, we've been working as a government. Uh, before I came into the role, we, ro- we started rolling out a program called Disability Inclusion into our mainstream schools to make sure that um, our mainstream schools are inclusive because it was something that we were hearing loud and clear from, te- from um, parents and from students that it wasn't happening, that it wasn't a choice for them to be able to go to a mainstream school because they just didn't offer the support and the service all the respect and so we need to change that and we are doing that school by school and we're rolling out um, education for our teachers education for our student leaders um, and for students as well um, about dealing with the, the diversity that they would experience with kids being on the spectrum and with disabilities and then also um, what we're doing is coming up with individualized plans for the student who has the need and we're working with them and their parents and their teachers to come up with a learning plan and goals um, and it's the first time this has been done in Australia we've we've rolled it out now and have uh, across 850 schools mainly primary schools um, and that will be expanding again over the next two years and so far we've got just over 3,000 individualised plans that have been put together with a, with a student voice at the heart of it. And I think that's the most important thing uh, that we can do in showing respect is, is to roll out this program. Yeah, absolutely. That'll be really great to see that kind of expand um, over absolutely. the next couple of years, I think. Changing tack a little and moving internationally, which is exciting, um, Sweden has recently announced a new emphasis on physical books and reading and writing skills, like handwriting, as opposed to the use of yep. tablets and computers that we've seen kind of really expanding in the last few years. Do you think there's too much emphasis on screen use in Victorian schools? No, I think that's a good balance. I mean, I'm in classrooms pretty much every day of the week and um, particularly in primary schools, we're seeing the use of little mini whiteboards um, and uh, so it's reducing paper usage, uh, but it's not digital and it's just kids utilising their handwriting using a small whiteboard Um, and the kids love it and um, I think it it becomes their, almost like their little... um, accompaniment in in the classroom but then there's also lined up on the table uh, a range of books and diaries that that kids can access directly on their tables uh, next to them I think maybe when you when you mention overuse of devices um, that's probably more you know 
potentially an issue in secondary school, but at the same time, you know, we've got some pretty amazing technology rolling out with AI and I would really love to see our students engage in that um, using AI for the benefit of their own education and, and our teachers as well. Yeah, I mean, I actually definitely agree about secondary schools. I think oh, that yeah. I feel like I was just on my laptop for all of last year when I was in year 12. Oh, same, yeah. Well, I guess that's because, oh, were you affected that much by COVID? I guess you I mean, wouldn't 10 and have 11. been too much. Yeah, 10 and 11, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, yeah, Nat, it's been great to chat. We're going to let you go in a second, but we do have a question that we ask everyone as they come through the show. It's a bit of a represent classic. Uh, how would you recommend that the young people listening who are interested in politics get their start? Whatever they're, whatever they're passionate about or if they see an injustice, do something about it. When I, Can I tell a quick story? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, when I was 16, um, I found out that the local council was going to uh, privatise and sell off our local pool. And I was pretty oh, outraged by that. Oh, wow. because our, yeah, our family never went on holidays. We spent the summer at the pool, the public pool. And so my brothers and I, we formed a petition. We door knocked all the streets around us um, and we got people involved. And I think my mum was ready to kick us out of home when we put our <laughs> local, um, our, our home phone number in the newspaper oh. and said, you know, call us. Oh, this no. is before mobile phones. Yeah, and so then our home phone was ringing all the time. Um, but people got on board and we got hundreds of signatures and we actually got 150 people to come to the council meeting and uh, we managed to stop the sale of the pool. Wow. So you're if you're passionate that. about something, yeah, if, you, if you're passionate about something, do something about it. And it, it can, you know, can be a little team of three or it can be, you know, just yourself. But um, I just encourage anyone that, you know, is passionate about something to, to do something about it. Absolutely. Well, I think that's a great note to finish that's on. That's amazing. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, that's super cool. I'm amazing. you got 150 people at the council meeting. That's incredible. I know. I've never been to a council <laughs> meeting, so... I have been to one, actually. Oh, really? Yeah, it's, it was fun. What, what, why did you go? Uh, uni assignment. But, oh. yeah. <laughs> Not was, quite as motivated. Yeah. Fair enough. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to chat to us this afternoon. Um, we've really enjoyed it. <laughs> um, you're actually the first state minister that's come on the show this year. Congratulations. So you get a gold medal. <laughs> <laughs> my, my best friend at high school did RMIT journalism. So. Oh, damn. There, there we go. Brady's a trumpet yeah. player. So. Yeah, I don't go here. <laughs> She's here anyway. <laughs> but I'm Fantastic. RMIT journo, so that's great to hear. Thank you. <laughs> All right. No worries. Thanks so much Thank for that. Thank you for your time. Thank you. Thank All you. right, you're Bye. listening to Represent. Bye. Back on Represent. Welcome back. We just had a really great interview with Natalie Hutchins before, so thank sure you did. so much, Natalie, if you're still listening. <laughs> um, hopefully you are. Um, but it was very good. I'm Freddie. we got Bridie as well. Yeah. You're still Sin, 90.7. My favourite station. The it's one of the presets station. on my car. It's so, so good. Yeah, I think it's like the second set of presets. Oh, it's, it's like number seven for me. But I mean... Yeah. But it's going, it's going it's pretty well. It's, it's It's there. Sorry, Freddie. And it's closest an to the driver's side as well. Yes. How was your weekend? Oh, Bridie. My weekend was fantastic. Really? It was, it was no. It was it was a normal weekend. It was pretty good. But you know what was my favorite part of it? Was it falling asleep at my concert? 
Well, I wasn't going to mention the falling asleep <laughs> bit, but yeah, Bridie had a symphony recital thing at Melbourne Town Hall on Sunday. It was so good. <laughs> it was fantastic. Congratulations. Thank you. It was it, really fun. It I'm was really amazing. glad you came. I did miss a little bit of it for... You missed um, the boring part, though, so it's okay. Yeah, I, miss, I missed singers. the start, but, like, the end? The end is The end was crazy. But, yeah, so how, what was preparing for that like? Because that would have um, been hectic to prepare for. It's not as hard as you probably think it is. Like, okay. You get given Jeez, your part, make it look easy. <laughs> and that's your part that you have to learn. Yeah, and like there are definitely hard bits in it. So we're playing Mahler's Resurrection Symphony, uh, Symphony Number Two. One of my favorites. Yeah. <laughs> 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 um, yeah, it was really good. It's a really great piece of music. Yeah. Um, and so you're given your part, and I think I was rehearsing with them for about six weeks once a week, and we had one full Sunday rehearsal and then one extra rehearsal the week before. So yeah. we had two rehearsals with the choir, and then on Sunday morning we got to rehearse with the organ and the choir and the singers. The organ was crazy. It was, I didn't think it was actually going to get used. Sunday. Yeah, well, but then no, the dude exactly. walked out and yeah. onto the organ bit, and I'm like, oh, this is going to go so hard. When this did he walk great. out? Was it the same time the singers came out, or was it later? When did I walk out? When did the organ go? Oh, when, oh I couldn't remember, honestly. I think, I, I honestly, I didn't even notice the singers walking in. I, they just kind oh. of, like, appeared, and I'm like, oh, like, the t- front two singers. Yeah, the soloists. Oh, yeah. No, I think the organ guy was slightly after those guys. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. Because yeah. he only plays, like, at the very end. Anyway, yeah. it's spectacular, because it's like you get through this whole emotional symphony and then there's like this huge release at the end and the organ comes in and you can like feel it in your feet and the thing is like when you're playing especially when you're playing trumpet like you can't look back right behind you up to the organ or at oh, the yeah. choir or anything so it's like you just have you know where it coming where it's about to come in and then you feel it and you're like oh my god this is insane <laughs> <laughs> well it was very good congratulations Thanks. Thanks um for coming yeah no absolutely i can't believe naya didn't come i know like, it's really. actually so rude of her <laughs> She didn't come to that on Sunday. She didn't show up for the show today. She didn't even show up for Sammy J. She didn't even show up for Sammy J. She she phoned it in, I'd say. Wow. But um, no, she zoomed in. She's having a great time in Canberra. Canada. The other Canberra. Oh my god, Canada. Yeah. Um, Speaking of Canberra, though, let's get into it. Yes. Um, Housing so, bills. Yeah. yeah. Well, Exciting. Spoiler alert. Oh, mate. sorry. Oh, so sorry. remember, like a month or two ago, right? We were yeah. sitting here and we were talking about an election. We were th- talking about an early election. I think it was about a month ago. I think it was too. About Actually, a month I ago. I feel like it was in like June, but I think I've made that up. I was um, it in June? No. I, I think it was July. I feel like it was I think July. It was or end August. of July. Yeah. Um, we were talking about how there might be an early election because the Greens weren't supporting this housing future fund. Bill. And Albo threatened to send it to a double dissolution, I think the exactly. terminology is. Yeah. It is. Which well, would be crazy. But Newsflash the Greens love represent. They yeah. announced it just in time for our show no, yesterday. I think they hate represent because they don't want us to do a double dissolution election <laughs> coverage day. That's so true, actually. <laughs> um, now they support the bill. So sadly, Out we don't nowhere, have an yeah. election. But excitingly, Aww. the bill's going through Parliament. The Housing Australia Future Fund is happening. Half, if you will. Half. It, it is happening. Yeah. Oh, God. But, uh, Kill me now. Um, so yesterday, I'm just going to talk over you now. <laughs> <laughs> yesterday, the Greens leader, Adam Bant, member for Melbourne, um, and housing spokesperson, Max Chandler-Mather, uh, said that the minor party would support the bill after securing a further billion dollars for public and community housing 
but what they had really been gunning for was support for renters. They, they wanted a rent freeze. Exactly. They've yeah. called themselves the party of renters, but they've also said that they've been pragmatic and understood we're not going to solve the entire housing crisis in one bill. So, you know, they're grounded in reality. <laughs> I know. They've actually... I, look, I think it was pretty obvious that wasn't going to happen. They weren't going to get everything they wanted to. I thought they were in a bit of a stronger position than Labor to get what they wanted, though. Definitely, because it's such a crisis right now. It's all anyone's talking about, really. Absolutely. And so they've I'm been advocating really yeah. strongly for rent freezes and caps, which is... I mean, by the time it started getting battered between the Prime Minister and the state governments, it was like, okay, this is not going to happen. Nothing's happening here. We're not going to get anywhere. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Um, In August, the National Cabinet agreed to limit rent increases. Speaking of National Cabinet, isn't that crazy that that got established during COVID and it's like one of the only things that's still actually happening? Oh my God, it is, isn't it? Yeah. Oh my god, I didn't actually what? Yeah, because it was only a thing when there were yeah. lockdowns. Because they had all the um all the uh premiers come together exactly. and figure it all out. And now it's oh still my going. god. They agreed to limit rent cool. increases to once a year earlier this year, but then Max Chandler Matha kept warning that Labour was failing renters because excuse me, it allows increases of unlimited size. But yeah. homelessness and rental affordability continue to be crises. Um, yeah. Will this work? I missed a uni assignment on this bill. <laughs> I did do a bit of a uni assignment on this a few weeks ago. It, not weeks ago, a few months ago. It was a bit of a it was it was a it was a difficult uni assignment, but I did talk to someone at um oh I'm trying to remember what the organization was. I think it was National Shelter, but you're gonna have to I'm double checking myself typing, on that one. He's typing really fast. I'm he's I'm double checking my sources. Um but I believe it was someone at National Shelter. Oh, I found the email. I will be able to confirm this. <laughs> National Shelter. Yes, I spoke to the CEO of National Shelter. And CEO? She's, yeah, I, I went all the way to the top. Chairman. Um, Emma Greenall, thank you for chatting to me back in March. <laughs> um, but basically what she said, I thought it was quite interesting what she had to say because what she told me is that it's not going to solve everything at once, but it's a really good starting point. And I think with the additional things that the Greens have been able to secure, so the extra a billion, so I think it's, I think it's three billion dollars immediately being made available to public housing which projects now. Which is an now, unbelievable amount of money. Which is incredible, and I think the important thing is to remember as well: more is coming, and, and that is this is like yeah. the biggest. I think it's the biggest investment in social housing ever by a government. I wouldn't go, be surprised. I think, I think. I don't a hundred percent know if that's true or not, but I, I wouldn't like be I surprised. Give me one moment. <laughs> Bright, Brady's fact-checking, but our crack team of represent journalists <laughs> on the case. But um, and I think the, of, of course, the most important thing to remember is that it is still it is so much better than having nothing at all, which is what we would have if the Greens kept knocking it back and going to a double disillusion, or if Labor sort of knocked back the Greens' proposals and then we went back to a double disillusion. So. There's a lot of money immediately being made available, and then of course we've got the ten billion dollars going into the future fund, where the proceed, where the, what what's the actual term for it? Profit? No, because it's an investment returns? fund that they returns. Thank you. You're where the welcome. returns are being used for public housing, so there is a lot of money coming. It's not all coming at once, and it's not going to solve everything right now. It is one component, from what I've read, of some extra things that might still be being worked on. But there's going to be a lot of money going towards it, and I think right now we need anything going towards public housing, so it'll be good to see that happening.
Definitely, definitely, definitely. I'm almost there. She's, almost she's figuring it out. We've got a lot of fact-checking going on today. <laughs> it's $10 billion of fund. It's 10... It's so, be the biggest. That's so much money. Is it $10 billion going into the future fund yeah. plus $3 billion being made? Yeah, it definitely is. Okay, because I said that and I just realised like I'm not actually 100% sure if I was right on that or not, but I'm glad I am. <laughs> yeah, because the $3 billion isn't dependent on a gamble in the stock market. Yep, so... To Adam okay, yeah, so it's three... It's Three billion plus ten billion, which is great, yeah. which is fantastic. So the thirteen billion, a massive improvement from the ten billion just flat that it was going to be originally. Yeah. So good okay, work, I Greens. Can't find this bloody stat, but that's, <laughs> that's okay. It might be true. It might not be. Can you find the stat? Tweet, tweet us <laughs> at Sin represents. You can find us everywhere. I'm going to tweet again after the show. You won't be able to get rid of me. <laughs> Bridie will be on your phone constantly. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be on your phone, not mine. <laughs> but yeah, um, so what are we? I think I think it'll it'll work. It's part of a greater good, and yeah. I think it'll work. So do you think it could have been a carbon tax moment? Well, why don't you explain to us, Bridie, what that is? Because yeah, I think yeah, well, you, you wrote that here and I'm like, what actually is that? So well, please explain a it. A carbon tax moment. When the carbon tax was proposed, the Greens, you know, ummed and ahed for ages about it and then they voted against it. And that's kind of been their enduring legacy that they won't compromise on things. They didn't think the carbon tax was good enough. And then Julia Gillard was kicked out and then Tony Abbott got in, setting the stage for how many years, like nine years of Liberal government, um, and the carbon tax never happened, even though for the wow. year that it was in, I can't remember the stats, but in my global politics class we talked about it, and it was like already making improvements in the year that it was involved. And because mm. the Greens voted against it... Oh, wait. Now I've just seen a problem in my What's... things I'm saying. Oh, are we all good? <laughs> I don't know. I can't remember. I can't exactly remember, but like... Yeah was things were already changing and then the Greens voted against it. It was out. The carbon tax never happened um, and the Greens never compromised, even right. if it wasn't exactly what they wanted. Yeah. And anyway, this sort of feels like a similar... It could end up, could have ended up being a similar thing that would define their legacy as something they didn't support and should have. I definitely think... Because I think but, if it did go to a double disillusion, it would have been more likely that this didn't come up again. Yes, because I think especially if Labor didn't get back in, Labor. I think Labor would have gotten back in, but they wouldn't have had as many seats. Yeah, and I think they would have been like, okay, we're not going to try this again because we didn't get it through last time. We're definitely not going to get it through this time. So I think it would have faded away. So I definitely think it could have been another carbon tax moment, and I think the Greens would have been really kicking themselves if that happened. Exactly. So it's really great that they were able to compromise, and hopefully. They work that reputation down a little bit. Yeah. And I think this is a really good thing for them to have supported, and it was nice to see it happen. So, yep. yeah, I'd, li I'd like to rent. So let's <laughs> let's get it moving. Yeah. So <laughs> any any final thoughts? Yay housing. Yay <laughs> what, housing. What do you think? Yeah. Yeah, I'm the same. Yay okay. housing. Okay. Great. Big show today. Big show. Great show today. But we've got to get out of the studio. Continue. We do. Um, but, so yeah. listen to us again. We want you to hear our voices all the time. Rewatch <laughs> it. Weird. We're um, going to launch some represent ringtones soon. Yep. I always release just the interview and also the full episode. So if you just want to hear Natalie Hutchins, go back to our Omni Spotify, Apple podcast, wherever. Um, and if you want to hear us or well, our full show, 
go back to our it's also Spotify, there. Apple podcast because it's in the same spot. It's right next to that interview. Correct. So if you're looking to 100% the represent podcast, <laughs> so it says you've listened to every episode, you've got to listen to it twice, but I think that's good because they're really interesting and we appreciate all of the people that come on and, and chat to us. And we do see who listens. We do. We don't see who we, listens, but we see how many no, people No, we, we see who listens. We know every <laughs> one of you who are listening. We know the and ones know that don't. We know who's not. <laughs> it's a really long list of people who aren't. Wow, how could you give us away like that? Anyway, um, so yeah, hope you enjoyed the show. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Threads. Threads, which we are definitely using still. I used, I tweeted on oh, today. I threads You tweeted today. on Threads today. <laughs> but yeah, thanks Natalie Hutchins again. Yep, and remember to stay, stay political. political. You're listening to Sin. You've been listening to a Sin Media Podcast, where young people run the show. 